guys. What an incredible morning worship. Rock Hill, it's great to be back with you this morning. I love coming here because you are not just a church, you're friends to me. I've been with you so many times and I love every time that I have the opportunity to be back with you. And, and they say, would you come uh, speak at Rock Hill? I say, yes, let's just find a date. Absolutely uh, is my answer. So thank you for the privilege and the honor of being here. I love Pastor Michael and his wife. Michael's a great pastor, isn't he? He's just an incredible pastor. And, um, uh, but behind every pastor is, a, is a, a lady who stands firm with him and prays for him. And so I don't know if Abby's in here in this service or not, but, man, I just love the Kreiner family and so grateful for all that God is doing. Hey, listen, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. As you're turning there, let me just say a couple of things. I want to take just a moment, a personal uh, a privilege to invite you to something and ask you, if at all possible for you to be a part of. Tomorrow uh, evening begins uh, uh, our state convention, our network, our family of churches, annual gathering. It's going to be an incredible time. This year it is in Flint, as Pastor said, not Flint, Michigan, Flint, Texas. And so it's just right around the corner from you. It's going to be an incredible time. But in particularly, Tuesday evening uh, at 645, we're going to gather together for the sole purpose of getting on our face together in a convention-wide prayer service, asking God for a fresh movement of His Spirit in our churches, in our cities, and across our state. And so if you're at all able, if you don't have anything on the calendar, man, would you come join hundreds, uh, if not hoping over a thousand believers together from across Texas to get on our face together. We'll, 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 we're going to have a time, it's going to be an interactive time of worship and prayer. Flint Baptist Church begins at 645 Tuesday evening. Uh, I'm going to ask you personally, if you don't have anything, would you come and help us seek the face and the presence of God together? Folks, our, we are in such a desperate need of a fresh move of God across our cities and our churches, across our state and our nation. And I am thoroughly convinced that every uh, move of God of large magnitude began somewhere in a prayer meeting. And so I'm going to ask you to consider doing that Tuesday evening, 645 Flint Baptist Church. I also want to just say to you for a moment, thank you for partnering together with the SBTC. It, we are a network of churches trying to reach Texas and impact the world together. And I want to just tell you, I know maybe you've heard something like this before, but the really cool thing about how you partner with us and we partner with others is that you're, this morning you're at Rock Hill. We're at Rock Hill together, but do you realize this morning you're also in the Middle East and say in Iraq or, or uh, in somewhere in the Middle East taking the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel? Do you realize that while you're in Rock Hill, you're in, in, the, in, the, uh, in, in the hardest places to reach in India, you're in the hardest places to reach in Europe, because of your partnership, you were able to put missionaries there to take the gospel. So today, you're at Rock Hill and you're on the eastern coast of Africa at the same time. Today, in fact, you're at Rock Hill. We're at Rock Hill together. You're in the suburbs of Denver planting churches. You're in San Antonio planting churches, Houston planting churches, New York planting churches. And so while you're here today, uh, there is some church planter launching his church for the first time today. They're nervous as they can be right now, wondering if anybody's going to show up, but yet they're there. They're they're ready, they're anticipating a move of the Holy Spirit in a new church, in a new city, because you are a part of the network of churches. And then did you realize that you, and this is a really cool thing, you have the opportunity and you are investing in the next generation of pastors, missionaries, worship leaders, Sunday school teachers, uh, any of those who feel a call to ministry. There are over 20,000, listen to that, 20,000 seminary students that you're investing in, all because 
you're a part of a network like the SBTC. I like to say it this way. Your kingdom investment, here's what I love about this, allows you the unique opportunity to be here and everywhere around the world at the same time. You tell me anything else in the economy that does that. You are here this morning and you are all across the world taking the gospel to the nation. So thank you so much for partnering with us. We love you. We love to serve you. And if you found your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning, I'm going to speak to you. Lord began to impress on me several weeks ago, several months ago actually, that since I'm not a pastor any longer and I, I don't get to do uh, great sermon series or walk through the books because I'm not really ever with churches at that amount of time together anymore, uh, that, that, that I am just to go into as I have opportunities and open the Word of God and really just to allow uh, what's going on in my own life to be the overflow of my heart. As Scripture said, the overflow of your heart, the mouth will speak. And so really for me, it's just, a, this is what I'm, I'm fleshing out in my own life, and my own spirit. And in the last several months, and I say that months, God has been taking me on a journey of kind of discovering areas in my life that I am not fully surrendered. And for the last few months, every time I read Scripture, I, I am drawn to where is the surrender in the Scripture? Because if you're like me, here's the truth of my life. The older I get, the more I recognize the faithfulness of God in my life. You've ever seen that at Hindsight's 2020? The older I get, the more I realize he's, he's going to show up every time because he's faithful. And he's going to accomplish his will in my life. And it's in moments where I forget that, that, that I, I begin to try to take back control. So, so in one side of my life, there is this realization the older I get about the faithfulness of God. But there's a second realization the older I get. And you know what that is? The older I get, the more I realize my gifts, my abilities, my strengths. And so what happens in my life, maybe not yours, but what happens in my life is as I'm going throughout life, these two things battle each other. This idea that God is faithful, has always been faithful, and will always be faithful is there. And it is reminding me of his faithfulness. Secondary to that is this idea that I know what I'm really good at, what I'm really strong at, and what I'm not. And what happens is those things battle, and where I begin to fail in my walk with Christ is when I, the realization of my gifts and abilities begin to take over the realization of God's faithfulness. And so what begins to happen is the more I pull in my gifts and abilities and the more I try to overshadow the faithfulness of God, the less surrendered my life becomes. And I want to just say at the outset this morning, a, 90, a life that is 99% surrendered is not surrendered at all. Think about that. A life that is 90, by the way, when you come to Christ, you don't come to Christ 99%. <laughs> Man, you're either all in or you're not in at all. I mean, it's, it's a full surrender of your heart and your life. And, and so when we begin to think in our lives, here's the question for you today. What areas of your life, if you were to just be honest, have you not fully surrendered to the things of God? Dr. Roy Fish used to say, you have rooms in your heart. What room in your heart have you not fully Surrender. It's kind of like my daughter. So, uh, three boys, a daughter. I, I'm not gonna lie, and, and you can get bad at me. I'm a boy dad. I'm trying to learn this girl dad thing, and I'm not very good at it. I'm just gonna be really honest with you. Uh, I, I love football and anything that you can hit people with, and then I have to take my daughter to tumbling, and I'm completely lost. And 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 so I'm trying to be a girl dad, and it's not working out too well. Just to be honest with you. So, 
uh, we live not too far from Six Flags, and uh, so we, when we first moved back, we went to the state fair and walked in and got a corn dog and realized how expensive everything else was and left. I don't know, we came, we ate, we left. And uh, we said, we want something for our kids. So we, we got Six Flags season passes. We've, we've had those for years, and it's really a great investment in your family to be able to do that. And so we went to Six Flags a couple of weeks ago, and, and my daughter, she's, she's like gung-ho about, hey, man, I, I'm ready to ride roller coasters with you all. So we go in, and a lot of stuff looks closed. First ride, Texas Giant. And, uh, and, and, and the only thing I didn't realize is when we, when we got into the Texas Giant and they strapped us in and they pushed the button to where you just barely begin to go, she started screaming at that point. <laughs> and it was a heart-crushing, pier- I mean, uh, heart ear-piercing scream. And the truth of the matter is she did not stop the entire ride. It was painful, and it was embarrassing. I mean, the second ride, I looked at the guy next to us and said, can I just apologize in advance? She's going to start screaming. I don't know how to control it. I don't know what to do. Uh, she's acting like her mom. I just don't know what to do. And so I, uh, I, I don't know what to do, but, but, but she, she, she would scream. And the thing is, like, you know when you climb how slow it goes? And she's in, like, eyes closed, full screaming mode, and I'm going, what have I done, man? Like, Next time, I'm taking her to outside of Walmart to a little horse ride, you know, a quarter ride. Well, we, we go, the, finally, about the next two or three, we finally go to this one where the floor drops underneath you, and it kind of, your feet, feet, maybe it's uh, the Batman or something. I don't remember exactly what it was. And it's going to go upside down. And, and so I, I'm walking with her, and I'm telling her, like, um, Kenzie, uh, this next one is like another level up. And you can't go another decibel up. I mean, it's just not possible. So here's what Dad needs you to do. I need you to stop screaming, number one. I need you, number two, to understand that there are people who have invested time in building these things. And they put these safety belts in place and they, they, they make it safe because that's what it's designed to be. And, and in doing that, what you have to come to realize, sweetheart, is you have to come to realize that they're really, really smart people doing this. And apart from a few instances in the past that didn't work too well... <laughs> It always works good. I just need you to stop screaming and enjoy the ride because, Kenzie, you can trust that it has been designed for you to have an incredible ride. You've got to get to the place where you quit screaming out of fear and start screaming out of enjoyment. A whole different tone, by the way, in case you don't have a daughter. So, man, we go on this ride, and she's scared. She's like, she wants to scream, but she keeps looking at me, and I'm giving her that eye, like, don't you scream. <laughs> and, man, we take off, and we go, and, and she's, she's trying to hold her little hands up, and, and we finally get to the end of that one, and she goes, Dad, that was amazing. I said, I told you, honey, if you can just stop screaming, you might enjoy it, and so can I, <laughs> right? Here's the deal, though. Here's what I said, honey, here's the deal you got to get to the place where you trust those who've designed it for it to carry out the way they designed it so that you can enjoy what they designed. As we walked off that ride, the Lord began to impress in my heart and my spirit, Nathan, what about your own life? I've designed your life. 
I've designed the relationships in your life. I've designed your occupation. I've designed the platforms I give you in your life. And Nathan, what if you, instead of screaming in fear, what if you, instead of trying to control, trying to hold on, trying to manipulate situations, what if you just let go and understood and trusted that I designed your life and, and, and if you would just begin to learn to let go and to surrender, then maybe you could enjoy what I've designed in your life and for your life and maybe you would stop trying to overcome what I've designed. And if you're like me and you understand that in your life and in my life that God has designed us uniquely for a specific purpose and a specific time, that maybe today as you and I go through what God's Word is going to say, you could come to a place of realizing that if you will fully surrender your life, every aspect, that you can trust the one who has designed it before you were ever created. First Thessalonians, Paul is writing to church at Thessalonica. Now here's the crazy thing. Acts 16, 17, somewhere in there, Paul was in Thessalonica. It says that he went to the synagogue three times. So scholars kind of debate whether he was in Thessalonica three days, I mean three weeks or three months, three consecutive days in the synagogue or three months. The giving patterns kind of suggest that possibly three months, but really in the big scope of things, it, it doesn't matter. The, what matters is that what we see that happened in his short time, he goes to Thessalonica, God begins to move, revival begins to break out, and it's such a strong movement of God that it, you might remember Paul had to leave Thessalonica. They drug Jason, who he was with, out into the city and said uh, something like, the, the, the guys who have turned the world upside down have been here as well. And so something happened, and the gospel's impact was so great, whether it be three weeks or three months, in such a short period of time that a massive movement of the gospel began to shake the foundations of the city, and those who were opposed to the movement of the gospel began to say, we don't know what we're going to do because they've been here, they've left their impact here, and something is now different in our city. And, yet, and then Paul is writing here to First Thessalonians, to the church in Thessalonica, and he's going to kind of say, hey guys, here, He's kind of recap what happened. But here's the thing about Paul. We know Paul, uh, becoming Paul from Saul, when he had an experience on the road to Damascus, he fully surrendered everything to the Lord. He held nothing back. You can read his resume over and over again in the New Testament of how he let things go. And we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians just three quick things this morning that a surrender life does as, a, as a modeled by Paul. Beginning chapter 1, verse 4, he says... Uh, for, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. I love this. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full of conviction. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For you, for not only has the word sounded from the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but listen to this, but your faith has gone in, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. The first thing that we understand in the life of Paul as he writes to this church that was so deeply impacted by his short time period with them, is simply this, that a surrendered life authentically lives out the gospel. Now look what happens. He says to us, now brothers, 
I want you to know, verse 5, our gospel did not come only to you only in word. Now, let me just say this. As a child of God, Scripture says that you and I are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. In other words, you and I as children of God, it is not only our opportunity, it is our obligation that we share the gospel. I mean, we are to be vocalizing the gospel. But Paul gives a little insight and gives a little uh, level playing field because he says, listen to what he says. He says, our gospel didn't come to you in word only. Listen to what he says. But, full, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, and you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now, I know some of you, you say, Nathan, hey, listen, I love to see people come to faith in Christ. What we experienced here, which, by the way, nothing excites me more than seeing people baptized because that is a picture of spiritual resurrection right before our eyes. It is a reminder that God is still in the saving business, man, and he still wants to save people in your life. And so when we watch that, we understand that everybody in this room loves to see people come to faith in Christ. They love to see people following baptism. But if we're honest, there are some of you, if I just said, let's be honest this morning, there are some of you say, I'm just not comfortable with vocally sharing the gospel like it's just not my thing I don't know how to share it I don't know if I you know I don't want to I don't want to mess it up I don't want to I don't know how to do this and, and so you say well therefore it's for the professionals it's for those others no listen to me if you're a child of God it is your obligation you say but Nathan I don't have the gift of evangelism praise God nobody does because it's not a spiritual gift the office of evangelist is, the gift of the evangelist, which is an extra measure of anointing to see people saved, is. It is not a, it is not a spiritual gift. Evangelism is not. It's a spiritual command. However, the good thing is, if you say, well, I'm just not comfortable, man. You're making me feel guilty. No, 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 no. I'm not making you feel guilty. Because Paul gives you another opportunity. Paul says it doesn't come in word only, but in how we prove to be among you. In other words, Paul is saying it's not only out of your lips the gospel goes forth. It's out of your life the gospel goes forth. And so what happens is, for those of you who are super comfortable sharing the gospel vocally, you're in, man. Like, you're sharing the gospel. Praise God. But for those of you who say, I just can't do that. No, you're in. Your life needs to be sharing the gospel. Not only should your lips scream Jesus, but your life should scream redemption through the blood of Christ. And so we see this in Paul's writings that really, for us to live a surrendered life means that we are authentically living out the gospel. Not just faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Now, what does that look like? He gives us four things. First of all, he says we are to live selflessly. Look what he says in verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to me. If the gospel is coming to you in my life via the Holy Spirit, guess what it's not coming in my life? It's not coming via me being full of myself. So he says, if the gospel is going to be lived out authentically in our life, and if we are fully surrendered, then what begins to happen is, every day I have to empty me of myself and ask the Holy Spirit to lead me, guide me, and empower me. And yes, the Holy Spirit dwells within me, but my flesh and my spirit battle, and what I have to do is, that, keeping with that theme of being surrendered, every day I have to die to myself and I have to take up his cross daily. I have to deny myself, take up his cross daily. And I have to say, Holy Spirit, empty me of my wants, my thoughts, my, 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 my pleasures, my, my, my flesh, the things that entice me to do what's not of you. Empty me of myself and let me live selflessly through you. And guess what happens? This is what Paul says. Then and then only am I living authentically, living the gospel out. Because he says, listen, 
the word didn't come, the gospel didn't come to you only through us or through our word, but through our lives that were full of power. Why were our lives full of power? Because our lives were full and being led by the Holy Spirit of God. Can I be honest with you? I mean, just being transparent, that's hard for me. I have four kids. That's hard for me. I fail every day. I wish that there was a, a metric on the fruit of the Spirit that began when your kids were out of the house. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, because it's just not fair when you're raising kids. Hey, listen to me. You want to live a fully surrendered life? Authentically live out the gospel by living selflessly. Simply saying, Holy Spirit, empty me of myself. Fill me of you. By the way, it's much better that way anyways. The Holy Spirit is much kinder than you are. He's much more creative, much more passionate, right? It's just better that way. But the second thing he says, not only selflessly, we must live convictionally. I love this. He says, uh, I came to you not in word only. The gospel came to you not in word only. He said, but with power in the Holy Spirit. I love this. Oh, man, I love this. And full of what, church? Conviction. So Paul says, for me to surrender the things of my life to the things of God, for me to fully surrender, for me to authentically live out the gospel, the Holy Spirit has to lead me, has to fill me. But not only that, I have to know what I believe, and I have to stand firm on the truth of God's word, and I have to have convictions that lead me to the place of wanting to surrender my life to the Lord Jesus, wanting to surrender daily to the Holy Spirit, and I have to know the truths in which I believe. In other words, Paul was saying, listen, we didn't come to try to, 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 try to entice you or impress you we are you get what you get when you get us but we pray that what you get are men who are living out the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit Paul says listen it's full of conviction we're not going to back up here's a you want you want a litmus test for your life we live in a crazy culture right now it's inevitable that you have friends who would call themselves believers but yet when they're culturally pressed all of a sudden, they're willing to back up in order not to offend anybody. Paul doesn't say the word came by the power and the Holy Spirit and conviction when it's convenient. He says to be fully surrendered, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are to stand with conviction on the truths of God's word. You are not to go left. You are not to go right. You are not to go up. You are not to go down. You are not to go backwards. You are to stand firm on conviction. And so when I look at my life, the question for my life is, Nathan, are you surrendered? How do I know I'm surrendered? I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then when someone in my life who is pressing me or culture is pressing me, I am able to stand firm by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word. And I am more concerned about offending God than I am offending a friend. I used to tell people, say, you know, you got to share the gospel. Well, listen, I don't want to offend somebody. I used to say, hey, hear me, hear my heart. I'd much rather offend them into heaven than ignore them into hell. Listen, I'm not trying to draw a line in the sand here that Paul hasn't drawn to the church at Thessalonica. He said, listen, the truth is, convictionally, when I surrender my life to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is leading me, I can't back up because the Spirit has empowered me to stand on truth. And he says, when the Spirit is living within you and you're standing truth, he says this, 
the gospel didn't come to you in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit full of conviction. And I love this next part. I love this. He says, and you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Man, that is a key phrase to me. Paul says this, it's not only about living selflessly, it's not only about living convictionally, it's about living transparently. Paul was saying to the church in Thessalonica, guys, you were with us day in and day out. Our lives matched up with our gospel. We didn't tell you in the synagogue of the great glorious grace of God and the, 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 the holiness of God and the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but yet on Monday we were talking as if we didn't know God in front of our people in the break room. And I'm telling you, man, I think, I think one of the things that we, we, we miss out on is that we, we, we are able in our mind to disconnect a Sunday worship experience with a Thursday challenge at work. But the truth of the matter is, if we're not living empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's easy to separate those two. But when we are fully surrendered to the things of God, you should be on Tuesday in the most difficult meeting of your week, you should be the same as you are on, on Sunday when you're worshiping the Lord, singing how great you are. And the truth of the matter is, the only way we do that is to be fully surrendered, empowered by the Spirit, standing on truth, and being living transparent lives to say, hey, listen, I may not always get it right, Life may not always be easy, but man, I'm striving to be more like Jesus every single day. Listen to what Paul says. Surrendered life authentically lives out the gospel, selflessly, convictionally, transparently, and influentially. We won't stay here, but you just look at verse 6 through 10. It just talks about how what happened is, as they begin to live out their lives with the gospel before these people, that all of a sudden these people begin to imitate them. And when you, hey, by the way, check in here. When you imitate spiritual empowerment, when you imitate authentic living out the gospel, it doesn't stay within the confines of a wall. And this is what he says. You begin to imitate us, and all of a sudden, your faith is now being known outside of the walls of your city. See, they didn't need a revival service or a camp meeting or a conference for it to spread, what happened is they began to live authentic lives, whether it be three weeks or three months. They were so transparent and authentic, living out the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, full of conviction, standing on truth, and just being honest people. That something began to happen. People began to say, I want to live like that. And they began to imitate it, and somebody else began to imitate it, and somebody else began to imitate it. All of a sudden, now their faith has grown outside of the city walls. What would it look like, Brownsboro, Chandler, Texas? a group like this and say, man, we're going to be fully surrendered people. You're not going to ever be able to tell. The only way you'll be able to tell the difference between Sunday and Wednesday is on Sunday at least my bad voice can blend in with others. On Wednesday, it's just me alone. <laughs> this is what Paul says. First of all, the surrendered life authentically lives out the gospel. Secondly, authentic life embraces what has been entrusted to me regardless of the circumstances. It embraces what's been entrusted to me regardless of circumstances. Look what he says in chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Listen to this. I love this. But just as you have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. I'm going to stop there. 
Did you hear that? If you are in this room and you are a child of God, listen to this. You have been approved by God to be entrusted by God with the gospel of God. Check mark, you're approved. Pre-approved by God to be entrusted with the most powerful message the world has ever known. Listen to what he says. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. So Paul says, man, if, if your life's fully surrendered, the results of a fully surrendered life are you're going to authentically live the gospel. You just are. You're going to live it out selflessly, convictionally, transparently, and then influence comes. Second thing he says is that no matter what your circumstance is, a fully surrendered life embraces that which has been entrusted, not, not, not depending on circumstance. Listen, um, what I've learned is joy is internal, happiness is external. Happiness changes with my circumstance, but joy doesn't. It doesn't for them either. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1 and you read what he says in verse 6, he says, And you became imitators of us of the Lord, and you received the word with much affliction, listen to this, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Illustrate it this way. I can have joy that it's football season and not be happy when the Cowboys play. Right? Happiness depends on the score. Joy is, I don't care. It's football. <laughs> and here's what Paul's saying. You have been entrusted with the gospel, friends. The gospel of Christ. And here's what he says to the church at Thessalonica. He says, man, you went through affliction. You received much word in affliction, but you did it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You did it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and, and also, we had been mistreated. Paul talking about himself. We had been mistreated. We had been beaten. We had been uh, um, like in conflict, he said. But we had boldness to share the gospel. Why? Because the gospel has been entrusted despite what your circumstance is. However, the, the turning point comes. Watch this. Don't miss this. The turning point in your life and my life comes is when we don't separate that two, those two. When we realize that nothing in your life happens that God doesn't cause or allow. Everything that happens in your life, God either causes it to grow you or he allows it to grow you. And when we look at life and we look at our circumstances and we look at our afflictions that way and we understand that, that God has entrusted the gospel with us despite our circumstances and then we piece together that God entrusts our lives with affliction and we put those two together, we begin to realize that sometimes it is the plan of God that affliction be the megaphone for the gospel in your life. Nobody likes to hear that. <laughs> and if we're honest, these last couple of years have been hard. But the truth of the matter is, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, when we fully surrender our life, we don't see our affliction as a punishment of God, as God being mad at us, sitting on his throne, lazy boy throne, with some kind of a wand casting down discipline, we see it as, God, I can't believe you see me. In such a way that you're willing to entrust me with a hard time, but also entrust me with the gospel, so that as those two's linked together, then your glory goes forth in my life through this hard time by the joy of the Holy Spirit because I have fully surrendered myself in the midst of my affliction. This is what Paul says. 
man, even in affliction, we proclaim with boldness in God, we proclaim the gospel in the midst of much conflict. Friend, I don't know what you're going through, and I, I don't even pretend to. We all have afflictions. We all have challenges, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, financial, relational. Everyone in this room has some kind of affliction, some kind of a challenge, some kind of a setback, some kind of a mountain to climb, some kind of a valley to walk through. And the truth of the matter is, instead of going, God, why me? Why are you doing this to me? Go, God, why have you chosen me for this awesome opportunity in my life? Instead of, God, why have you done this to me? Change the, flip the script and say, God, why have you found me so worthy to allow me to go through this for the sake of your gospel? This is what happens when we're fully surrendered. We're fully surrendered. We don't see afflictions as obstacles. We see them as opportunities. We don't see afflictions as problems. We see them as platforms. Yes, they hurt. Yes, they challenge us. Yes, they stretch us. But at the end of the day, God has entrusted you with affliction. God has entrusted you with the gospel. And he has not entrusted you with those two things for those two, two to be mutually exclusive of each other. He's entrusted you for them to work together for the glory of God in your life. Third thing that happens when we surrender our life, we'll be done. First of all, a fully surrendered life authentically lives out the gospel, selflessly, convictionally, transparently, and influentially. The second thing is that a, 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 a life, a surrendered life, embraces what's been entrusted to me despite my circumstances. Understanding that suffering can be a catalyst for my life and that affliction can actually lead to reprioritizing Christ in my life. But third, a surrendered life pours out my life intentionally. I love this. Look how Paul ends this passage. Verse 8. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. See, never, ever uh, gives himself permission not to share the gospel. Listen to what he says. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel, listen to this, but also our very own selves. Because you have become very dear to us. So Paul says a fully surrendered life, a life that authentically lives the gospel, it's internal. It's a life that embraces what has been entrusted to you no matter what you're walking through. I'm going to embrace this opportunity. And thirdly, it's a life that pours out yourself to others. Let me ask you this. If you're a follower of Christ, who are you pouring into? Hey, God didn't give you all those experiences for you to only experience them yourself. You've got wisdom that others, doesn't ha that, that others don't have. God didn't give you that wisdom so that you can pontificate on it in your own life. God gave you that wisdom to pour out your life to others. Paul says, listen, gospel didn't come in word only, but how we prove to live among you. Our life preached the gospel. Paul says, I, the gospel didn't come in great times, mountain, mountain times, the gospel came in affliction and conflict, but yet we were entrusted with it, so we put forth the gospel. Then Paul says, the gospel wasn't coming in word only regardless, the gospel was coming as we pour our lives out to you, we invest in others. I had the privilege of being an IMB trustee, and uh, incredible missionaries you send on the field, you put on the field. 
I was able to be a trustee for their organization. And right before we would commission them out to go somewhere around the world, we would call them in and we would ask them these questions like, how can we pray for you? Man, you'd hear some of the craziest answers, but one that always broke my heart is over and over again, you'd hear missionaries say, please pray for my parents because we're taking their grandparent, their grandchildren overseas. They're mad and won't even talk to us. One girl, I'll never forget it, she was a single lady, and she said this. She said, please pray with tears coming out of her eyes. Please pray that no one in my people group dies before I can get there with the gospel. That's the kind of people you're sending, folks, through partnership. There was a young lady that I became acquainted with as I walked. IMB has a facility where they train missionaries before sending them out about six or eight or nine weeks or something like that, six months maybe even. When they go and they're trained and they learn, learn cross-cultural living, etc. And I was at this center one time and I was walking down the hallway and I happened to look at the wall and there was this yellow legal pad note page that caught my eye and I stopped and I read it. I couldn't believe what I was reading so much so that I keep a picture of this in my Bible to remind me. A young lady by the name of Kieran Watson. Kieran felt called to live a fully surrendered life. Kieran gave up her dreams and her ambitions and said yes to the Lord. God, I'm going to surrender whatever it is you want. So Kieran felt called by God to go, give, uh, go invest her life in others on the mission field through the IMB. Kieran was commissioned and sent out to Iraq. Little did Kieran know when she left America to go be a missionary in Iraq that she would not return home because at the age of 38, Kieran was killed on the mission field serving on behalf of Southern Baptist. This was a handwritten letter that she had written to her pastors. I want to read just a few excerpts of it from you. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. Listen to this. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. She says this twice. His glory is my reward. His glory is my reward. At the end, she says, in regards to any service, keep it small and simple. Yes, simple, just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel and give glory to our Father in heaven. Listen, friends, she never knew that her surrender would be her life, but she was willing to surrender even if that's what it was. And to live a fully surrendered life for you or for me may not mean we sell everything and move on to the mission field, but it may. It may not mean that you are to go give your life, physically give your life somewhere, but it may. The question is this, what she says, the question about surrender is obedience. She says, to obey is the objective. To suffer was expected. You're always going to suffer when you're in obedience to the 
will of God for your life because God is molding you for what he wants to be before he takes you home to be in his presence. But here is the ultimate end with all of a surrendered life. She says it twice. His glory is my reward. His glory is my reward. What is the reward of a fully surrendered life? His glory, not mine. So I ask you two questions today. If you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never fully surrendered your life to Christ. Today I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you. Don't leave this place without giving your life to Christ. Just a moment when we stand and sing, Pastor Michael's going to be down the front. I'm going to challenge you and to walk out of your seat or get out of your seat and walk down and just say to the pastor, I need to fully surrender to Jesus today. I want to give my life to him. Fully surrender your life to him. Why? Because his glory is your reward. The second person I'm talking to today is you're a believer, you're a child of God, and I am naive enough to believe that all around this room there are areas in the rooms of your heart there are areas in the pockets of your life that you've not fully surrendered to God whether it's your finances whether it's your health whether it's your calling whether it's your relationship whether it's uh, emotionally spiritually mentally I don't know but he knows like I love to say God's already in your tomorrow waiting on you to get there he was already today waiting on you to wake up so he could meet you here to show you what areas of your life that you're not surrendering and I want to challenge you in just a moment, we sing, stand and sing. I want to challenge you to get out of your seat and come lay yourself before God at this altar. There's nothing special. Listen, it's just wood and carpet. But it is symbolic for you to come down and say to God, I'm surrendering everything, God. Or maybe you, you, you need to say, God, show me what areas of my life are not fully surrendered that I'm trying to control with my abilities and my gifts. And I would say to you today, like I said to my daughter, trust the one who designed your life to get your life to a place where you're living out what your life was designed for. And you can't be 99% surrendered and be surrendered. So today, man, I'm challenging you. Get out of your seat. Make yourself uncomfortable. Why? Because the objective is obedience. And his glory is your reward. His glory is your reward. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that this morning, right where these folks are sitting, that your Holy Spirit is meeting them right where they are. That God, your Holy Spirit knew exactly which seat they would sit in this morning. <laughs> he was there waiting on, on everyone in this room to sit so that you may speak to us clearly. So Father, I pray with every fiber of my being that if there are people in this room today who do not know Jesus, they've not surrendered, or maybe they've gone to church, maybe they've sang songs, maybe they've given money, maybe they've served, but today they come to realization that 99% saved is 100% lost. But you got to be fully surrendered to you, our Lord. So Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, that today would be the day their life would change drastically forever. Give them boldness as you did Paul to proclaim that they need Jesus. Father, across this room, there are people all over this room that have got things in their life that aren't surrendered. God, there's marriages probably on the rocks in this room because one or both are not surrendered people, not surrendered followers. God, draw us to our knees. Let us just lay it before you, God, asking you to show us what we need to surrender and then giving us the strength to let it go. 
by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, let's stand together.